Leicester Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. How do you know how the crops are doing? Knowledge and years of experience, yes, but might some new tech help? Start with the plant and understand how the plant is performing and what the plant needs and then change the resources that you're putting into the plant to optimise its productivity. What's new at this year's Midlands Machinery Show at Newark Showground? We have over 225 exhibitors coming, and what is fantastic this year, we've actually got 40 new companies who are coming to the show. It's on this week, so is Lincolnshire Showground's Farmhouse Breakfast Week. We'll look ahead to both, check the crops, the markets, and get some important and timely agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope it's been a better week for you weather-wise as Kieran eases away. Good news is the low pressure also eases away and it looks to be a bit better week, but we'll check the forecast at the end of the programme. I'm Steve Orchard. This is the Farming Programme podcast. In the news this week, DEFRA's launched a review into unfair practices in the egg supply chain. The review will seek input from egg sector groups on issues such as transparency, clarity of contract terms and data from the supply chain. It follows a series of challenges experienced by the sector, including increased energy and feed costs, which have raised questions about the fairness of the supply chain. There's more detail and to have your say on the DEFRA website. The pig sector is facing more declines in prices, with a further 1.62 drop in SPP during the week ended 14th of October, the second biggest fall of the year. It's a drop of 5.5 pence since August, but still stands 20 pence ahead of a year ago. A new digital mapping project is said to be paving the way for a new chapter in UK wine production called Vineyard Information System for Technology and Automation, or VISTA. It's funded by DEFRA from their Farming Innovation Programme and it's aiming to create an open standard for digital maps of commercial vineyards in the UK, supporting the drive to deploy more automation and precision on farms. And British Sugar has caused outrage with the NFU Sugar Board by contacting all growers directly and appearing to make a formal contract offer to growers of £38 a tonne. This has not been agreed by NFU Sugar, leaving the validity of any contract made in doubt. NFU Sugar's concern at British Sugar's circumvention of the agreed process, they called it an aggressive action, is that it appears that individual growers will receive significantly less value than they should, given anticipated market conditions. NFU Sugar has written to Farming Minister Mark Spencer asking for immediate intervention by DEFRA. No one was available for comment from British Sugar. I'm sure this situation will develop over the coming days. Check nfuonline.com for the latest. How do you know how the crop is doing? Years of experience, plenty of knowledge, yes. Might phenotyping help? What's that? We'll find out in a minute from Julian Gooding, Head of Sustainability at ag tech startup Garden. First, Julian, if you would, a bit of background to Garden, please. Garden is an agriculture technology company. We started out in the middle of the pandemic, actually. So 2020. Uh, and our founder, who had exited his last startup, which was in virtual reality, was, was at home and trying to grow some food in his garden. But he, he wasn't doing very well and was struggling a lot. And he kind of, from his own experience in other industries, thought one of the main challenges that he was facing was he was completely unable to tell how well the plants were doing 
and to be able to measure the product. Whereas in almost every other industry, there's an obsession with measuring the product. And when you look at modern farming in greenhouses, especially, it's almost like being in a factory with the efficiency and scale at which these uh, operations happen, yet they're unable to measure the product. And so Garden set out as a company to try and bridge that gap where we wanted to come up with a solution where farmers could understand how their product, which is the plant, is performing. So and you're so, a tech company that works in agriculture rather than the other way around. Yeah, we definitely came from other industries and kind of brought that perspective to agriculture. But we also have an amazing team of plant scientists with PhDs in plant science. So we do have that scientific background as well. So yeah, you understand both sides of the, the, the coin, the, the plants as well as the, as the tech side. And you offer a phenotyping solution. Just give, what is phenotyping? With plants, there's two main things to think about when you're growing. One is the genotype. So that is all of the genetic DNA held within the seed. And then when you plant that in the ground and the plant begins to grow, the way that the plant grows is influenced by the environment and the development of the plant with respect to the environment is the phenotype. So it's anything really that's any physical characteristic of the plant as it's growing. So it can be the area of the leaf, the number of leaves, the height, but also more in-depth and complex scientific information like chlorophyll fluorescence, which is what our sensor measures. We're actually measuring the efficiency of photosynthesis in real time in the plant and observing how that is changing due to the environment around the plant. You claim that this will increase yield, reduce resource usage, etc. How does it do that? Is it just because the farmer knows more about his crop, so therefore it saves putting on additives or fertilizers where it's not needed, for example? Yeah, exactly. So the key difference is that when you look at how farmers have grown so far, it's really looking at the climate and thinking about how that's going to influence the plant. Whereas we're trying to kind of flip that on its head and say, start with the plant and understand how the plant is performing and what the plant needs, and then change the resources that you're putting into the plant to optimize its productivity. We call this plant-driven growing, where we're effectively listening to the plant and then responding in terms of what energy inputs we put in to maximize its productivity. And that's quite a big change in terms of the mindset of the industry, but we think as a result, we're going to, there's going to be a leap in progress towards increasing the sustainability of agriculture, increasing the amount of food that we can produce and making the lives of farmers more productive. Does this system work just for a particular type of plant? Can it be applied to any crop or is there a restriction on its uses? Yeah, so that's kind of one of the most amazing things about the technique that we've chosen is that it's incredibly robust and versatile so it works on any crop and the reason is because we're measuring chlorophyll and that's in every leaf of every species and so that means that we can use the same sensor the same processing the same algorithms to deliver insights Uh, but they'll still be specialized to the individual grower because their plants will respond to our sensor in a certain way so it doesn't have to be just for instance a salad crop or something being grown in a glass house we have started in indoor controlled environments and that's because there are more levers to pull 
in response to the data you have about the plant. And so that could be the temperature, the humidity, the lighting, the irrigation. And that means that there's more opportunities for optimization. Whereas in other outdoor environments, it's not that we can't do it. It's more that there's just fewer levers to pull and often you're just subject to whatever weather comes. And what does the, the hardware look like? It's, it's a sensor, but that could be big, small. However, what does it actually look like? It's um, a very relatively small device about the size of a pint glass. And it attaches to a column in the greenhouse or indoor farm. It operates completely autonomously. So it uses computer vision to understand its environment and then finds leaves and sends a light pulse to the leaves. Uh, and that's how we perform a measurement. Every hour, it can measure, take hundreds of measurements across hundreds of leaves just from a single location. And that's important because when you're a grower and you're thinking about changing your climate, you want to make sure that the decisions you're making are representative of the whole greenhouse. And so you need to have a statistically representative sample of plants to get data from to give you confidence in that decision. And so when we were designing the sensor, we knew it had to be high throughput, have a large range and completely autonomous so that it could fulfill this need for statistical confidence and automation. Yeah, as you say, you're not just going to take a sample of a few plants, you've got to take a sample of rather a lot. Now, is this solution, this product actually available in the marketplace now? Yeah, no, we are deployed in the market. We're in the UK, the Netherlands, France, Spain, also moving into North America and Canada. So we are yeah, actively deploying and customers are, yeah, have used already used our sensors to improve their operations. How much are we talking about for one of these things? One of the key challenges yet to overcome was bringing the cost down. The science behind this technique has been around for 30 years almost, but it's only existed in academia. And that's because the machines that were required to take this measurement were extremely expensive. We're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds. And our key challenge was to bring that cost down to a point at which we could deploy it in commercial environments. And so we did that and brought it down about a hundredfold to only 1,500 pounds per sensor. At that price point, you can deploy this into commercial farms and start using these plant measurements to inform your climate control. One thing that's important to consider about the challenges that agriculture faces is that there's not enough land in the UK to achieve our carbon targets whilst maintaining food security. And we need to invest more in land efficient agriculture practices like greenhouses. The problem is there aren't enough master growers who can manage these facilities. And that's where garden comes in, where we can act as a tool to help extend the reach of growers to manage larger facilities and help them improve their growing strategies to benefit the plants in the most efficient way. And by doing so, we can help the UK as a country as a whole also accelerate its journey towards net zero. Where would we go if we're interested in this to find out more information, Julian? Yeah, so head to our website, garden.co.uk reach out to us or reach out to me personally on LinkedIn as well. Julian Godding from Garden, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thanks, Steve.
After a couple of weeks of squelching around the fields in waders rather than wellies, are things any better? Are we actually getting any field work done at the moment? Good morning to our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. More of the same then. You know, I ended up finishing October with 198.6 mil of rain, and that knocks my last wettest October into a cocked hat by over 60 mil. And as I said last week, with that coming off the back of the wettest September that we've seen, it takes my total alone for the year so far to a 727 mil, and we've still got two months to go. So across the county, not much of anything done on the land other than digging water off. So land work all but impossible, really, other than the odd heath field after sugar beet where the odd field could be ploughed and drilled but on the whole it's too wet to even think about drilling and with storm kieran just topping up the misery on the land there we go and with it as wet as it is when we get a couple of mil this time of year we may as well have had a couple of inches things just don't dry much in a wet time so too wet to drill too wet to travel with the sprayer and too windy to spray anyway nearly too wet to walk on these fields in some farms so too wet to get slug pellets on as well and that's becoming an issue for me because i'm seeing very high levels widespread slug damage out there only to be expected really i think but there seems to be a lot more activity from slugs this autumn i've got fields which have already been re-drilled because of slugs looking like they're on the brink of succumbing for a second time so keep your guard up against slugs they're munching away on the emerging plants all over the shop they're not amphibious but they are voracious once they get stuck in so please assume nothing and keep your eyes open it's a little bit catch-22 in these conditions of course you know the pellets are going to be vital to save some of these crops as the days go by but the wet conditions mean that the pellets even the wet process pellets aren't going to be particularly effective for long so clearly you've got to prioritize the more backward bits the yet to emerge and the starting to emerge bits the fields which already have got a couple of three leaves on them are probably still growing faster than the slugs can graze them but as i say assume nothing take any opportunity as it presents itself with slugs obviously it's not all slug damage in these patchy weeks of course because thanks to the sopping wet seed beds we're seeing the effects of water logging and anaerobic conditions around the poor old seeds we're now seeing burst grains as a result of the wet we're seeing herbicide uptake damage as well from the preems being washed down to those young roots and being taken up by the seedlings so all the environmental conditions obviously are playing their part too there's not a lot we can do about the wet and the weather but slugs are something we may be able to influence if the gods are with us so don't miss an opportunity if it presents itself those slugs really are quite serious in a place or two so don't underestimate them in a year like this if you can go drilling you need to pay particular attention when you're applying any residuals which are obviously crucial for blackgrass control because they can and will cause vivid and dramatic foliar uptake symptoms unsurprisingly plenty of herbicide uptake out there already and that's showing up because of that washdown but as we saw last year and if you remember last year we had an inch of rain a week from the middle of october till the end of the year crop effects were dramatic and widespread but the crops in general grew away from it in 99% of cases with very good results on the blackgrass too and good yields but it should he said with every extremity touching a little bit of wood it should be transient damage and it will be doing way more lasting damage to the grass and the broadleaf weeds than it will do for the crop itself so don't panic if you do see a bit of discoloration as far as the blackgrass goes it's far better that you've got that preem on and you're getting that effect rather than if you didn't put it on and the blackgrass has been given a free pass to getting away scot-free the water around the seed will be doing far more damage to the wheat than the herbicide will from uptake 
Do, of course, if and when you are able to consider mauling a bit more wheat in the ground, account for the dodgy seedbed condition by increasing the percentages of expected field losses in any calculations on seed rate. If in doubt, speak to your advisor about it and get their guidance before you get stuck in. And hopefully I mean that figuratively rather than literally on the worst blackgrass field. And incidentally, if you don't expect to be able to get a preem onto any of those bad blackgrass fields within a week or so of drilling, you've got a little bit more grace now. It's come a little bit colder. Then should you really be drilling those fields anyway at that stage? I'm just saying realistically, as the optimum drilling and indeed any drilling opportunities and conditions become rarer and rarer in these conditions, thoughts are inevitably going to turn to broadcasting the seed on and harrowing it in rather than drilling it. Now, you may have loads of expensive bits of fancy kit that do that job, but ultimately you'll still be spreading it on and you'll still be harrowing it in. But crops established that way are going to be at a far higher risk of adverse herbicide effects because of the inevitable and unavoidable inconsistencies of seed depth. So always check the labels of your intended herbicides before you go applying preems to broadcast field. There are several products and active substances which have label restrictions against applying them to a broadcast crop. And in which case, you're going to need to go peri-emergence once that crop is fully up in rows and you can see the tram line. That's going to be safest for the herbicide, but it's not necessarily going to be the optimum time for blackgrass if that's what you're after so speak to your advisor and be guided by them drilling is always going to be preferable to broadcasting in a blackgrass situation because the preem stands a far better chance of not hurting the seed and of killing the blackgrass when you're in control of the seed depth also try to simplify herbicide mixtures as well if you've been delayed and the crop didn't get its preem on things like straight flufenacet or synmethylene are pretty safe to an emerging crop triolate prosulfocarb less so but again check label restrictions regarding the timings on emergence, establishment methods, calendar date, growth stage restrictions and all that jazz and for goodness sake be careful around the first frost onto the crop if it's just emerging but we'll cover that next time. Still way too warm for propismide in the oilseed rape and with water courses running full hole it's way too wet to apply it safely anyway. Soil temperatures at 30 centimetres well over 14 degrees C at the moment and they're rising. They need to be 10 degrees C and falling so don't even think about propismide yet. A fair bit of nutrient deficiency, by the way, showing up in the oilseed rape and these cereals, thanks to conditions. Magnesium tends to show up in the older leaves, manganese in the younger leaves, nitrogen shows in the older leaves, sulfur shows in the newer leaves. But speak to your advisor and be sure about what you're seeing out there because wet feet on its own looks a bit the same because all nutrient deficiencies are worse in cold, wet periods like we're in now. So choose your weapon wisely if you need to but don't just choose a weapon for the sake of having a fight look it's wet i'm starting to annoy myself now so let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever to our independent agronomist sean sparling back at the same time next week there's a couple of farming events on in lincolnshire and nottinghamshire this week we'll hear about both and check the markets and the week's weather next on the farming program podcast the Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. There's a couple of big events on in Lincoln and Newark this week. In a moment, we'll preview the year's Midlands Machinery Show. That's on Wednesday and Thursday at Newark Showground. First, many local kids will be enjoying breakfast at Lincolnshire Showground this week. Why? 
Here's their education coordinator, Susie Stone, to tell us more. Farmhouse Breakfast Week is learning all about the most important meal of the day, which is breakfast. So we have lots of fun, interactive, farm-to-fork activities, learning all about your breakfast produce, where it comes from, some cookery skills, lots of exciting things to get stuck into. So you'll have lots of kids here, but you'll have lots of people showing them stuff as well. Who's going to be here? We have ladies and pigs who will be doing some bacon muffins. Ruth Wilkinson doing some omelette making. Food education from the council who were doing about healthy eating, um, sort of a healthy breakfast bowl, and then lots of farmers and helpers learning all about the farming story, uh, the grains that go into your cereals and things like that. So the kids are learning not just the importance of a healthy breakfast, but where their food comes from. That's it. Uh, all about local produce, where your food comes from, the sort of farm to fork uh, story and everything that's involved, cooking with it, using it and, and eating it. <laughs> now, I know we talked about this before on the farming programme, but is it still important that kids understand where their food comes from? Do you still feel that kids don't fully appreciate where their food comes from they just think it comes shrink wrapped from the supermarket that's it it's it's um creating that link of it's not just what you pick up off the shelf there's a lot that goes on before it gets to that stage so understanding about the farming year what's actually involved in producing your breakfast produce and the importance of all the hard work that goes on around the county Uh, we have some wonderful students that come along but their knowledge sometimes isn't quite where it should be and and it's about teaching them that so much does go on and and the importance of of where where our food comes from are the kids coming from any particular schools are they sort of city schools or are they more rural we get a mixture of both but we we do find it really important to spread county-wide and maybe have schools that come along that aren't connected with um, the farming uh, industry so developing that knowledge and importance of that subject area And do you talk about things like future job possibilities within farming? Yeah, so as part of the uh, Agricultural Society, we're all about promoting the industry. Um, So developing that knowledge of different careers out there, because it is so vast. So just a little bit of an insight uh, in Breakfast Week is fantastic. But we also do lots of different programmes throughout the year as well. How many kids have you got coming for Farmhouse Breakfast Week? So we've extended our provision a little bit this year. So uh, previous years, we've had 30 students uh, for each morning of the week. Um, This year, we're having 60 Key Stage 2 students, so 300 across the week. Thanks to Susie. He'll be back next week to tell us about Lincolnshire Agricultural Society's newly launched Schools Challenge 2024. If you're looking for some kit or just want to see what's new, the Big Midlands Machinery Show is back at Nottinghamshire's Newark Showground this week. Good morning to show manager Elizabeth Halsall. Thank you, Steve. Uh, We have over 225 exhibitors coming. And what is fantastic this year, we've actually got 40 new companies who are coming to the show. We've got a number of telehandlers that have been demonstrated in the telehandler arena. And new for this year, we've got the technology arena. So we've got a new Horizon drill um, that Russell will be demonstrating. We've got Coon Farm Machinery. They've got a Striga strip till uh, drill. We've got Richard Weston, and they've got a, a safe bale lock trailer um, that's actually working and loading bales. So quite a lot going on at the show. And also new, I should say, is we have a new transport and towing hub uh, in association with the National Association of Agricultural Contractors. Um, And we've got a number of workshops, just quick workshops, but going through 
brake speed and weight, are you road legal? We've got a workshop on actually safe and secure loads and how to secure loads um, for road use. Anything uh, to do with driver's licences, tractor licences, operator licences and also wits and escort details. So quite a lot of information in the workshops. It's a bit of an unusual one, the Midlands Machinery Show, because it's kind of out of the normal show season, really, isn't it? It is, but actually the feedback that we have, it's a a great time uh, to have a trade exhibition because our farmer visitors are coming along, they're looking at potential new purchases for the next season. So for them, it's a great opportunity to come and have a look at new products that are available and, you know, start to make new decisions for their business. And some local dealers and some local companies? Chandlers, B&B tractors, Charmins, yeah, a full range that are going to be with us. It's always a good opportunity, these things, to catch up with people, isn't it, and have, enjoy the social side a little bit as well. It is. Um, I mean, people, they like to meet face-to-face. Our research has actually shown that our visitors like to come and meet their sales reps face-to-face and uh, have a cup of tea and a bacon butty. So um, it, it's a, a good meet-up when I think the farming calendar is slightly slightly quieter. Yes, absolutely, because the crops are in the field, subject to the weather, of course, and the way it's been over the last uh, two or three weeks. Um, but, yeah, plans for next year already in hand, and if you want to come along and have a look at some new machinery, uh, we will welcome you, and I shall be there and meeting as many new traders as possible and reporting back for the farming programme. Elizabeth, where can we go for more information and tickets? Well, it's free entry and free parking. We are asking people to pre-register if they can, and if they go to the website, which is midlandsmachineryshow.com, and they can, uh, visitors can register online. And just remind us of the dates and times, if you would. It is the 8th and 9th of November from 8 o'clock until 4pm. At the Newark Showground. Thank you, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case, just in case you get next time. All right, Elizabeth, well, let's look forward to another successful show. Lovely, thanks very much, Steve. Do let me know if you're going. The coffees are on me. Lynx FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market, Henry Simpson. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome to the weekly roundup from the Louth Livestock Market. Starting off the cattle, which saw a good number entered with 19 head of cattle forward this week. We saw the prime steers oil on average 287.94 pence per kilo and the prime heifers oil on average 279.59 pence per kilo. Topping this week's market was John Scurley of Bournemouth to £1,770 per head or 290 pence per kilo. And topping the heifers was F. Wallace and son of Biscothorpe to £1,718 per head or 301 pence per kilo. Now moving on to the cool cows, which saw an oil on average of 102 pence per kilo. We saw the top from Manby Farms of Thornigby to £1,197 per head or 157 pence per kilo. And the OTM steers were topped by D. Shamley of Tetney to £522 per head or 121 pence per kilo. That wraps up the cattle. Now moving on to the sheep. The lambs took a slight drop in trade but looked well sold compared to the other outlets towards the end of last week. We saw an SQQ of 248.16 pence per kilo and an average of 245.2 pence per kilo. Top of the day was Beth Foster of North Summercoats to £148 per head, 273 pence per kilo. Now moving on to the calls, which saw 88 ewes and 3 rams entered. The ewes saw an average of £109.33 per head and the rams saw an average of £84.69 per head. Top of the day with a ram was from M Starling of North Willingham, achieving £168 per head. And topping the ewes was R.W. Robertson, son of Rowson, 
and also to Jay Byrne of Thought and No More, both selling to £130 per head. Moving on to the store lambs, which saw a good number entered with 69 forward this week, so an average head of £67.80. And a top price from Thomas Farms Limited of Low Barlin, selling to £98 per head. A big thank you to everyone who supports the market week in, week out. That goes to all buyers, vendors and staff. And just a reminder, we are selling again tomorrow. It's a store week, so we're taking entries for all store, prime and cool cows, as well as store, prime and cool sheep. So please hesitate to contact the team for all marketing options. This has been Henry Simpson from the Mason's Rural Team. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. And for an update on the grey markets and some guide prices, Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices gravitated this week on the wheat market towards the lower end of the recent range as managed funds continue to pump and dump into the derivative markets. Cash markets are becoming opaque as shorts look to cover nearby needs. There are signs that consumers are looking to take some forward cover both on old and new crop, but sellers are pricing in some protection against the backdrop of reluctant offerings from the farm gates. Recent wet weather and the current Syrian storm system in Western Europe, including the UK, is keeping farmers off the land, with new crop prices trading at a premium to old crop reflecting the future concerns. The market has thus far ignored the war in the Middle East, which is escalating, whilst Ukraine report that Russia has again been dumping sea mines in the Black Sea Corridor, which is slowing shipping activity. Russian exports are slowed due to the government's unofficial floor price guidelines. Reports that the Russian export tax would be removed seem wide of the mark, as they have banned exports of durum wheat for six months. So looking at malting barley this week, at the beginning of last week, a slight increase in the malt demand across Europe appeared, which was helped by the increase in French malting barley prices by four to five euros. The first sign of new demand for some weeks. As the week progressed, there were reports that Danish merchants had looked to buy back some of their export cargoes due to quality concerns, which triggered a further price rise by the end of the week on the free on board market. And this had seen up to a 25 euro increase, trading at circa 310 between October and March. We do still think that the forward malt demand is unknown, but this recent increase in prices show that if demand does improve, then the prices could push even higher. UK malt usage continues to stay high and September shows a 2% increase at 158,000. Last year's UK malts used 2.2 million tonnes of malting barley, the highest figure that we have on records. So far this year, at least three months usage shows the figure is up 4% to 468,000. The usage should continue to be high between now and Christmas, but the new year could be a different picture with the cost of living, which continues to affect the consumer. Orsied rape has continued to struggle and seems to be range-bound around the 430 euro mark. Crude oil remains extremely volatile after a three-day decline and closing below $85 a barrel on Wednesday. The market has rallied and is currently trading $1 up. The bounce has been supported by the US Federal Reserve decision to keep the benchmark interest rates unchanged at 525 to 5.5%. Investors are watching for developments in the Middle East with concerns that wider conflict would disrupt the oil supplies and add tightness created by the opaque and the cuts. The stronger crude oil futures suggest veg oils as it makes an attractive option for the biofuel feedstocks. The support would rally the crude oil and strong export data of Malaysian palm oil which will be the sharpest increase that this has had in three weeks and was trading at 2.3% up at the midday break. So moving off all seed rape onto prices this week, feed wheat for November 180 to 185, February 184 to 194, May 190 to 200 and November new crop 195 to 205. Milling wheat premiums are circa 60 to 65 pounds. Barley for November 150 to 160, 
February 154 to 164, May 157 to 167, and November 170 to 180. For specific malting barley premiums, please do speak to your local open field farm business manager. And lastly, oilseed rate for November 335 to 342, February 338 to 348, and May 344 to 354. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. The low pressure starts to ease from Tuesday, bringing a more settled, drier but cooler week. Some light rain today. Westerlies in the mid-teens MPH and highs of 10 Celsius this afternoon. Similar for Monday, although the wind backs more to the southwest. Mostly dry on Tuesday, then some light rain and the wind picking up on Wednesday, gusting into the mid-40s, easing back to the mid-teens for the end of the week and mostly southwesterly. And overnight lows are down to 6 or 7 this week. Well, that's it for this week on the Farming Programme podcast. Hope to see you at Newark on Wednesday. And next week, we'll look ahead to the East of England and farm business innovation shows. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.